Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 42 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, the Reverend Megan Snell, a clinical spiritual advisor and former pastor of several United Church of Christ churches in the Boston metropolitan area, joins Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas for a conversation on clergy mental health, as well as how clergy can provide support to their congregations. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with the Reverend Megan Snell. Reverend Megan Snell is a clinical spiritual advisor at an inpatient drug and alcohol recovery center and previously pastored several United Church of Christ churches in the Boston metropolitan area. She lives with chronic mental health conditions and writes, teaches, and preaches regularly on the topics of mental health, mental illness, and faith. She serves on the executive committee of the board of directors of the UCC Mental Health Network and is a contributing author for The Christian Citizen. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Tell me about your role as a clinical spiritual advisor. What does that entail? Sure. So that means that I meet with folks who are in early processes of recovery. I meet with people individually for one-on-one sessions where I listen a lot and we talk about where God is in the midst of early sobriety and recovery. And then I also run group sessions where groups of about 25 or 30 people at a time will do some processing together and learn some new skills to help in their spiritual lives and journey. We talk a lot about the three B's of spirituality in both settings. We talk about behavior, belonging, and belief, what beliefs are holding them back or propelling them forward in recovery, what behaviors are things they want to cultivate, and what places, which places in their lives um, foster a sense of belonging and a belonging that is deep and something that they can ground themselves in. And how has your uh, lived experience with mental health conditions informed your ministry, both as a pastor and now as a clinical spiritual advisor? Yeah, I think that um, there's a depth through which I meet people that is um, one in which I've been where they've been in a lot of times, or I've been in an adjacent valley, if not the same one, then one where I could uh, remember some of the contours of what it means to be very anxious or depressed or manic. And I can remember those spaces and meet people where they are in a way that is um, deeply authentic or in some way being able to remember those times helps me to listen deeper or to be really empathetic even when I'm distracted or busy with my own day. I think that there's something about a lived experience that has helped me to approach my ministry with greater vulnerability than I did before I was open about my own mental health experiences. I remember, um, the first time that I had to take a leave of absence from ministry and I was at this crossroads coming back into ministry where I could, you know, kind of gloss over the story and say, oh, you know, I had uh, some medical needs that I needed to attend to, or I could be honest and say, you know, I had some mental health concerns that I needed to attend to. And uh, 
there's nothing wrong with that. And so I, I felt that at that crossroads, if I chose the former, I might not make it in ministry as long as I wanted to, because I'd be suppressing this part of myself that is um, so deeply part of my day-to-day life. But I decided to choose the latter, even if it meant that it was a career stopping point. I chose the latter because I thought, you know, I think that God called me to this ministry as my whole self. And that includes being somebody who experiences the heights and the lows of, uh, of the emotional experience of life. And so I thought, well, okay, God, if I'm called to this experience of ministry, then I'm going to come as my whole self. I know you provided a helper for Moses who couldn't speak as eloquently as he thought he should have. And so similarly, I'll trust that I'll have people come along who will help me along and I'll have God continue on the journey with me. Within the church and within society more broadly, we're beginning to see a greater openness with respect to mental health, but there's still a great deal of stigma associated with mental illness. How can clergy uh, help to address that within their own congregations and communities? Yeah, I think there's some really um, there's some really practical ways that clergy can address uh, stigma in their own congregations and communities. And I think about this a little bit through I have a background in some church growth work and some of those same lenses that we apply to thinking about uh, church revitalization. We can also use when we think about mental health ministry. So things like thinking about worship as a whole. How many times a year do we say the words depression or anxiety or panic or mania um, in the context of a sermon? And think about, oh, if it's zero, how can we turn that up to five in this upcoming year? How can we challenge ourselves as clergy to do that? Um, And in the praying moment, are people feeling comfortable praying aloud about mental health concerns? If not, how can we encourage some people? You know, there's usually one or two people in a congregation who we can come up alongside and say, hey, we're trying to do this work of destigmatizing. Do you think you could, you know, be the plant next week and start praying aloud about some of this stuff? And as clergy from the pulpit, praying aloud about it as well. Um, and working up to it, letting people know that, you know, depression is going to be prayed aloud about before we work up to perhaps talking about people who are struggling with suicidality or active addiction. Um, so the preaching moment, the praying moment, I talked to folks about, you know, if you're looking for a fast way to enter into this work, printing um, hotline numbers at the bottom of the bulletin, thinking through ways that people can have that visual reminder that mental health is a concern in the congregation and in the world by just looking at the back of the bulletin and seeing, oh, this number is printed alongside our administrative phone numbers for the church. I think also about signage, you know, in the bathrooms, are there signs that help people to find resources for those who are struggling in uh, domestic violence situations or who are struggling with suicidality, addiction, or otherwise um, mental health concerns. And there's also ways, of course, outside of, you know, signage and physical plant worship and prayer life to start thinking about education and what does Christian education look like throughout the course of the year? Is there a way to put a mental health resource in there? Is there a way to do a series? Is there a way to bring in somebody from the community to talk? It's really nice now. 
being over Zoom for so much worship still in the pandemic, you know, we're able to bring in people who we might not normally be able to or plug people into resources outside of the local community in order to get people educated in new ways and kind of spark that desire for education in the congregation. So I think there's so many ways. One of the biggest things that I tell people, though, in the pastoral care relationship when it comes to destigmatization is to remember our role that we are not, you know, we are not uh, psychotherapists. However, we're also not devoid of of role within the emotional experience of mental health and mental illness. So there is a role for pastors in the experience and it's okay to refer out, but also to claim where we do have a role in helping people walk through what does it mean spiritually to, to wrestle with mental illness. And what do you recommend or think that clergy need to be uh, trained or aware of in that role, um, particularly with uh, referring, uh, knowing when to refer, that, that sort of thing? Are there uh, resources that you have found or points of connection that have been helpful? Absolutely. Um, one book that I think is really important is The Life-Saving Church by uh, Reverend Dr. Rachel Keefe. And I think that's a really great resource that helps people to know, you know, where's that line where it's really important to refer out? Where's the line where it's important to be able to talk frankly and openly about suicidality? Um, so that's one resource that I would refer people to as clergy and also as a book study for churches who maybe are kind of in the intermediate level of um, mental health ministry. I also think that going to different conferences and um, we hold conferences as the United Church of Christ Mental Health Network that helps people to think through um, these issues of, you know, what are our own roles as clergy and lay leaders and where do we refer out? That's another resource. And also um, mental health first aid, those trainings, which are, you know, eight long hours, but you really leave with a sense of knowing the basics and especially how to accompany people as they get to the help that they need. Um, I think that's a good resource too. In your uh, recent article for the Christian citizen, you write about uh, the unintegrated pastor. What do you mean by that term unintegrated pastor? I think so many pastors have found themselves compartmentalizing parts of their lives. Um, you know, we've got, our personal life and for those who are still doing the dating life and we've got the the family of origin life and the educational life and the friend life and the colleague life and the ministry life and sometimes these pockets become so separated from each other and what I hope for pastors is that over time um that we don't let those separations start to really wear down on our own mental health, but that we think about the ways in which we desire to have a more integrated life. I think that pastors who are able to do their own mental health work and access therapy for themselves and think about how they want to be um, fully themselves in their pastorate can sometimes find themselves with a little bit more peace at night um, when we work towards being more integrated people. In this article, you challenge clergy to occupy the pulpit as a human, not as an actor standing in for Christ. Um, and you write, occupy the pulpit as a human and see how in doing so, the spirit can work to recreate and resurrect you and the church. How have you experienced that recreative and resurrecting work of the spirit in your own ministry? Yeah, 
I, and as you read those, I'm like, oh, those are some bold, <laughs> some bold words um, to tell us to show up as humans. Oh, that's 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 a tough order. Um, I, I think that when I show up in my most vulnerable state, when I say, here's what I think this passage is telling us, and I don't know, you know, what do you think? And I could be totally wrong tomorrow about this, but in this very moment, I think the spirit's telling me this. And when I show up in those moments, I tend to find those are the ones where there's, you know, multiple people in the receiving line afterwards who say that was this, you know, who really genuinely say, you know, something beyond, oh, good job, thanks, good job, thanks, but who say, um, I needed that exact word, or that's exactly what I'm wrestling with. So I think that the more human we are in the pulpit, the more able we are to kind of allow space for the spirit to be the spirit, and for us not to try to be the spirit, but for us to just show up as another vulnerable person in the room who's trying to interpret the word in that moment. So that's always my hope when I show up in the pulpit is that I can be as, as human as I can be so that God can be as God as possible. It's interesting because you're, you're talking about the, the role that, that clergy assume in the pulpit uh, that is maybe not fully who they are, not vulnerable. But there's also this way in which um, laity assume roles or put on masks in church, right? We, we come as maybe our best selves or what we think is the best version of ourselves, not our whole selves. Um, so there's a maybe a relationship there in the vulnerability in the pulpit and opening that up for congregations. Absolutely. I hope that when I am able to take off my, you know, various metaphorical masks, I'm thinking during a pandemic time, I'm like, oh, let's let's all put on more masks. But <laughs> when I'm able to take off those metaphorical masks, I'm able to um, hopefully, I hope, provide space for other people to do so, too, and to just meet each other a little bit more at those places of um, deep authenticity, of joy and of pain and of spaces where we can really do spiritual work together. And in the churches that you have pastored, have you seen that movement to a place of vulnerability for people, uh, an opportunity for them to bring their whole selves into the life of the congregation? Yeah, I really think so. I think that when I am able to, you know, I remember the first time that I preached a sermon that was really um, about depression and, and even then it was, it was a little bit about depression, but it was not fully um, in the way that sometimes I preach more now. Um, And afterwards there were a number of congregants who I learned something about their own journey with mental health or their family's journey with mental health that I didn't know before, even ones who I thought I knew pretty well. And so creating that space and then having those conversations, I think has really changed the DNA in some of these congregations where some of the people are able to bring parts of themselves that they used to leave at the door into the space. And I like to think that those parts affect how they have conversations at coffee hour, how they lead as part of different committees, how they preach when there's lay Sundays. And uh, I hope that I hope that it changes how they show up and how they feel welcome. I hope that it um, has changed the ways in which they feel fully welcome as their whole experience of being human. I'm interested in this kind of disconnect because um, 
if statistics are accurate, um, some one in five, one in four individuals um, is living with a mental health condition, will experience a mental health condition over the course of their life. And so uh, that, that could be you or me, someone we know, someone we love uh, that is in our in our circle. And yet um, that's not and, and yet we're still somewhat unopen to talking about it um, and to addressing that whole area of concern in the life of a congregation. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's so um, it's so common that we have so many people experiencing these things and yet such resistance to um, speaking openly about what we've experienced, what we need, um, what would be helpful, what would not be, yeah. And in your work with the UCC, with the, um, the mental health ministry there, you, you mentioned conferences. What are some of the other um, work that the UCC is engaged in around mental health concerns? Yeah, so we have a we have a weekly blog that we uh, publish that has some good resources for folks on our website for the UCC Mental Health Network. We run these conferences twice a year, um, which used to be in person, and now we're experimenting with virtual as of this fall. And at these conferences, we help to bring clergy and laity from churches and conferences and associations in the denomination together. We also work with people outside of the United Church of Christ and have even certified, I think, two synagogues at this point in our um, covenant of being wise. We call it welcoming, inclusive, supportive, and engaged for mental health. And it's a process in which we ask congregations to really consider where are we now with mental health ministry? Where are we going to try to become in the upcoming year, in the upcoming five years, you know, where do we think we can actually have a, um, a role in our community, a voice, a space of resource and support? So for each church, that looks different for each congregation or community. But we hope to kind of walk alongside people as they do that work and as they make those covenants to become more and more engaged. And do you see... Um examples of that at a local level, congregations uh, connecting with resources in their communities? Yeah, so I know of a number of congregations who, you know, have used this process to start hosting uh, NAMI groups in their communities, National Alliance for Mental Illness, or AA or NA groups, um, or smart recovery groups. So sometimes we just need that little bit of structure to help us think through what groups in the area we want to connect with and be supporting and mutually supportive of. For other churches and congregations, it just helps to know that you know, you're not the only pastor who's trying to nudge a church along in this process, but to um, to know that there's so many other communities who are also trying to just take those first little baby steps and start preaching a little bit about anxiety or start praying a little bit about addiction. And um, knowing that there's so many other churches and communities in the same step as any given church can sometimes just be that kind of supportive, larger body of Christ sort of work that we need to be able to do this important work. As you uh, think back on uh, this work and your engagement with it, um, 
and as you look ahead, um, what is your hope for the future? Hmm. That's a great question. I think my hope is that people begin to, over time, associate church, big T, big C, maybe, you know, across denominations, start to associate church as a place that is supportive of mental health. I think that so many people, when they think of church, they think um, for good reason and for solid lived experience, think of it as a space that can be really damaging to mental health. And I hope that over time, church becomes more and more through each of us doing our little part place where people think, oh, I could go there for solace for my spirit and for my mind. And that's a place where I can bring my whole lived experience, or that's a place I can feel anxious and no one will judge me. So I think that's my goal, just over time that we nudge just a little bit closer to a realization of space where people can feel safe and um, supported. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us and to uh, share your hopes and your experience with us. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much. It was good to be here. Visit christiancitizen.us to read Megan's latest article. While there, sign up for our weekly newsletter with links to new content from The Christian Citizen, as well as a summary of news and opinion from elsewhere. Hold fast, be well. Thanks for listening. At The Christian Citizen, we're passionate about justice, mercy, and faith. We produce award-winning content that is provocative, timely, and relevant. What started 25 years ago as a print publication is now a digital-first, multi-platform publication. We've added an award-winning weekly e-newsletter, this podcast, and a growing presence on social media. Now, for the first time, we're adding a member support program, Christian Citizen Ambassadors. Learn more about how you can support our work at christiancitizen.us slash members. Thank you to this week's guest, the Reverend Megan Snell. Our theme music is Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Tell. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagey. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit our website, ChristianCitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thanks for listening.